Okay, so hi everyone. What's up? Oh god, I I'm so bad at answering that question. It's a day ending <laughs> and why. Okay, so here we are, and I think maybe before we even like start talking, people need to know who we are. So I leave it to the two of you to introduce yourselves. Fiona, why don't you begin? Hi, I'm Fiona Maeve Geist. I'm an INFJ in Myers-Briggs, and if I could have an improbable license for an RPG, I would like to have the license to the works of Baz Luhrmann. Nicole Kidman is now a character class. Someone do it. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm an INTP, and I'm working on a Schopenhauer dating sim game. Oh my god, I'm so boring compared to the two of you. <laughs> you mean sensible, an adult... Not someone no. that <laughs> I just I don't have anything like obscure in the top of my head. Hi, I'm Har. I'm an ENTJ, and if I want to be pretentious, I want to have an RPG where I play Roland Barthes trying to discipline Michelle Foucault. Yo, that sounds Hell like. Yeah. Is there an erotic game of the year category in the <laughs> Emmys? Because if so, that would win it hands down. And it would just be you against monster hearts every year until someone else had released another erotic RPG. I mean, roll for sense. <laughs> roll, for, roll for the golden ass. <laughs> Try to, it'll be like Samuel R. Delaney's Phallos, where like, it's just a hero myth, but they're looking for the phallus. But, like, it's the Lacanian phallus, so it's just an invisible space penis that informs everything. Can we not? Oh my god. I swear. No. I'm trying no. to make, like, a... I'm no. trying to make, like, a Ceci Nipazun pee-pee joke here, and it's not really coming together. Oh no. But if it is coming together, talking about the skin of Hephaestus, <laughs> a thing that we... Oh god, that was just the worst phrasing. Okay, so let's talk about segues. Welcome to this episode. It's Mahar, Jared, and Fiona, and we are trying to be kind. A podcast that looks at RPG products with as critical an eye as possible. As you might have heard, we are looking at quite a bit of nerddom. I would say half of it's real, the other half is pretentious, probably even more so. And I am not being facetious about that. <laughs> Welcome to a podcast about anger and pretension, usually all anger on pretension and vice versa. Uh, yeah, so here we are. Uh, this is me trying very hard to be a moderator. It, this dissolves very fast, friends. Um, and here we are. And basically, why are we doing this? So, Jared, maybe you can tell us, tell everyone why we're doing this podcast in particular. Well, I think the lot of us heard about and were intrigued by this particular book that was published. I, I guess it was published this year um, about the forge. And it's sort of, a, I don't know, it, it claims to be kind of a theoretical history and overview of the forge as, as, as it existed. And uh, so we read it and now we're going to talk about it. That's my understanding. I haven't finished reading it, but I think we're breaking it down by sections, and session zero is the introduction, which I've read. Okay, so let's be more formal about it. The book is called Tabletop RBG Design in Theory and Practice at the Forge, 2001 through 2012, Designs and Discussions by William J. White. It's published by Palgrave Macmillan, and basically... We all read the book. We have to thank our friends over in a particular Discord who chipped in money 
to buy the book. This isn't a cheap book. It's very much a textbook. It has a textbook's price. Yeah, we were like all wondering why anyone would write about the forge. So basically, first thing we need to know is what was the forge, right? Jared's tittering in the background because he's like, he's like, oh my gosh, like Jared knows. We're trying to be kind here. We're trying to be kind. So let's just jump into this book. Okay, so first things first, friends, like what were your thoughts on the forge before reading this book? Well, I, I'm fairly well known as a critic of the forge. I think, I think, you know, we're trying to be kind. I think there's things to say about the forge that are not um, uncomplimentary, um, especially on the side of publishing and things. Um, That's something I've pointed to a few times, but on a theoretical level, which I think the book is primarily concerned with the forge is not uh, really my, my cup of tea. I've got a lot of problems with, with the way they structure things. How about you, Fiona? Um, so I think I'm supposed to like do an OSR declaration or something and like talk about G plus, but I actually don't want to do that. And that sounds very boring. And I wasn't in G plus very long. So instead I'll say the forge kind of happened during a period in which I wasn't playing a lot of RPGs. I played as a child and I, you know, played a bit in college and then, around when I am the ideal sort of person to be playing story games, I read RPG net reviews sometimes and like read cult a lot, but like never really participated in that culture or really much had much thought about it and kind of came back at a point in which the forge is on a decline. And I don't know, OSR think pieces on forge design are somehow less interesting to me than like any other discussion we could have. But trying to be kind i'm very interested in the forge as an attempt to do something that like you know had a particular duration okay so on my end i didn't know what the forge was when it was active i only entered game design maybe a couple years ago so what i did know about the forge is what it seemed to be like this repository of information that everyone supposedly should have known about and online particularly on the health site known as twitter you would see lots of people say that if there was a game design question they would sometimes, some people would derisively rather say like, why are you even asking this? It's already been covered at the Forge. And um, it did lead to a few discussions online that I felt were uncomfortable and sometimes rather pedantic. So I just know in the background that this used to be a community that got a lot of people involved in game design. But to be fair, we can't say that the members of the Forge or the people active in the Forge or even the ones who learn design theory from the Forge are universally gross. I mean, we do have a number of people who I feel are extremely helpful, are very kind, and are very encouraging of other young designers. So we have the likes of like Paul Sedge, Siga. I'm really sorry, I still don't know how to pronounce it. And um, Jason Peter, who have helped uh, design things and have helped, have given opportunities to people in design. Or the, or the bakers, like Vincent and the Gay Baker, I feel have been very, very positive people in the RPG, RPG design community in general. So it's rather odd hearing about the Forge as a negative thing, but at the same time, seeing some people trying to be kind, redacting their names so that we don't flame them, um, <laughs> being, being really mean about you not having been in the Forge and others being quite kind about it, but they don't refer to the Forge so much. So yeah, that's why we're discussing this book, because this episode's on the preface called The Skeen of Hephaestus, a very unfortunately named uh, (laughs) chapter. 
<laughs> not going to be pretentious, but you better have read your Virgil, motherfucker. Um, With the words forge and skein, that's all you have to start. <laughs> Just get off of there. Well, okay. We'll get yeah. off on this. Um, on the second time, I just shoved my whole foot in my mouth. Um, but, you know, I think what's interesting maybe to start on this is, you know, it it is an academic's reflections on an archive about game design that existed for a while and um, where most of my interest is in playtesting and, you know, people actually playing games and less in people thinking about games because, like, you could do that forever. But um, you know, and its sort of core thesis is that, like, people are forgetting the Forge, which I think strikes all of us as odd because, like, PBTA and uh, Forge to the Dark and, um, you know, Burning Wheel also, I think, you know, are yeah. fairly well-known systems that came from that. And I think it would be weird to say young people are unaware of them. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it's... like, are you first, Jared? I was just going to say, yeah, as a person who like lives in, in, on the internet, in the, in RPG spaces and performs games publicly, it seems like the forge is impossible to get away from as much as I'd like to. So to hear someone sort of posit that people are forgetting the forge feels, it rings really false to me. So that's, and that's in the first paragraph of the book here, you know? Okay. So let's, let's read this and let's, let's get to it. So Read both uh, sense of the word. Let's uh, let's look at this. I'm going to read the first paragraph of the, that Jared just spoke about. Several years ago, at a little Persian restaurant across the street from the hotel in Morristown, New Jersey, where a gaming convention called Dexcon was being held, I was sharing a meal with my friends Michael Miller and his wife Kat in between game session slots. In quotes, people are forgetting the forge, Michael said. And what a way to begin a book on critical design theory. Like... <laughs> It's like our our credits not it's um, subtext is almost like credits not being given due here or uh, we are becoming obsolete. There's a bit of a mourning sound to this, and I kind of like, what's your problem? I mean, it's been eight years. Do you think the forge should be immortalized? I don't know. What do you think? Too well, I think this is kind of covered in the sort of next couple paragraphs, but like you know, zooming in a little bit on furthermore over the years. It had generated enough antipathy among those who found its insights unconvincing or its adherence annoying that, as newcomers entered the scene, their inquiries about the Forge would likely be met with fairly dismissive, if not actively hostile, reports. And, you know, I think that that's maybe some of it is I don't know if the Forge is remembered the way that the author would like it to be remembered versus, you know... Maybe some of the more interesting questions around, like, who was and was not part of the Forge, and, like, how did that shape what it talked about? Yeah, when, when I read that, I definitely suspected that this was going to be a an attempt to narrativize the Forge away from, potentially away from whatever the current sort of cultural narrative is about the Forge. Um, what is the current is, cultural narrative about the Forge? Ooh, I'm probably not a good person to answer that. Um but I, I think generally when the forge comes up, it's like that it was, it's either people saying that it was impenetrable and like uh, sort of whiteboard useless theory or people saying it was a really fruitful uh, time where 
all of these games came into existence that are now indispensable, which I think both can be true. But it'll be interesting to sort of see what, what this book posits as a truthful narrativization of it. The way it's it's just more like, okay, what are we trying to do here? It, it to me, it seems like the first step, or at least one of many steps, but it's the biggest step of institutionalizing something, mm-hmm. of saying that this is an institution that should be remembered, an edifice should be made in it. I mean, it's a book that's literally going to be a reference in academic uh, in academics in the future. I mean, it, it has all of the legitimizing agents of it. I, it's sold as a textbook by a textbook company. Mm. Yeah. It's ex- <laughs> I, right. It's like, I, it's, it's made to be legit. Yeah. And I think trying to be kind in some ways, this feels like a difficult project for this person to have gone through. That is like, he talks about not being able to include interviews he did that were very extensive with like Ron Edwards. He talks about like, you know, sort of the, the forgetting of the forge but also it feels like a more tenable thesis and one that like maybe a textbook company is less interested in is the forge was hella influential on a certain form of game design and now like there's a number of critical things that people say about the forge that are influenced by like the existence of post forge products as like i don't know i feel like a percentage of people's first game design is in PBTA, you know, like I think a lot of people, for example, with books by people who are canceled, you know, like Dungeon World probably introduced a lot of people that 5e kind of missed. That's true. I mean, the f- okay, so the thing is, I think what we're doing right now is we're being kind of guilty of what the Forge was being, which is like speaking to knowledge that assumes everyone has. So it's like, and I think that's probably the problem with the Forge. So the project of the Forge was ostensibly, right, to create a space for game design theory regarding RPGs. Yeah? Was that fair? Is that fair, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean... That's my understanding of the project, yeah. I think... Yeah, and then and it was basically moderated the hell out by a guy named Ron Edwards, who started, mm-hmm. who started the whole thing. And chose to end it. You know, I think that's brought up in this text, but it doesn't seem to provide a satisfying bookmark from the standpoint of writing this book is the forge was closed because like that was kind of the moment that they were like, okay, everyone in the Agora has learned the school and now you will go out in the world and teach it. And now someone's like, we need to go back to the 99 theses and like discuss the 99 theses of game design again when there's an existent, you know, aftermath that might be more interesting to study from my perspective as someone that does games things of like, what does it mean that the forge closed and, you know, burning wheel has this sort of like influence on people. Cause like, you know, that's interesting to me. So in that sense, maybe it's, maybe it's fair to say that like, if we think of the forge as this highly encapsulated, like butterfly under glass type of happening, that maybe people are forgetting about it. Um, but then the question becomes like, what's the utility of treating it that way? Right. Yeah. Like I don't hear a lot of people in the wild saying like gamist simulationist narrativist, or more often hear people use those terms sarcastically. Mahar, what about you? Like, I feel like I, I don't know in your case, like what your experience of like that discourse is. 
Okay, so the thing is, I again, I didn't even know what the Forge was until I started really entering game design. Because I didn't even realize that, oh, there was this place where people discuss this stuff. And it was only much later on that, oh, I used to be part of a Forge. So some people were like, I'm like, what's the Forge? And then you, you start following people on Twitter. And then you have the dust-ups, right? Where you have people say, we, again, like someone asks a question or posits something on game design Twitter. And then people go, oh, that was covered in the Forge before. And what became more and more apparent was that it was almost like people were pointing you to this dead forum with thousands of threads, thousands of replies, and somehow you were expected to troll through years of archives to find the answer that you wanted, which I found rather um, off-putting. And so like when people say that they were part of the Forge, sometimes I'm a little bit surprised because my first thought is, but you're nice. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, like, no. it's, like, it's like, how is it that you're part of the Forge? You're nice. And I don't think that's fair to a number of people. So trying to be kind, that's really becoming our, our, our like caveat, like trying to be kind here. Like it's unfair. It really is unfair to a number of people who, who truly uh, try to do their best for RPG design by, by interfacing with this particular forum. But at the same time, I'm like a number of like philosopher designer people are thinking that they're, you know, they're like the modern day game design Socrates. And they are going to use like this very adversarial questioning method to get you to design. And I found that really like, what's going on? So I'm like, uh, that's where I'm at with, with it comes to the forge. And it makes me wonder why we literally have like an ISA. We literally have like an ideological state apparatus here in the form of the <laughs> it's like it really is, right? Like it's 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 gonna warp discourse, it's gonna seek for like, you know, some kind of influence. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna enter, it's gonna be used by people to like, you know, spread their game design hegemony. And I'm just kind of like, why? <laughs> why do we need to do this now of all times? Like because Game design seems so rich and thrilling right now to me. That it, is that why you think? Do you think people are like, is this a golden age of RPG design, perhaps? And are people wanting to be part of that and have like institutional power? I mean, I don't know the motivation. Trying to be kind, but try to be honest, um, which is a delicate act of balancing. I think that one of the things that isn't covered much of this book and I haven't gotten to this section but I can look at like page breakdowns right is the question of who isn't in the forge right and what that moderating did to the discussion is kind of one of the things about this being you know a good era is that like it's quite simply more diverse in terms of people's backgrounds in numerous ways you know like there's not as much of a monoculture of people that are interested in this and that means that like a place that can have that centralized effect on a discourse is just not as possible but also it means that like in a way the the project of the forge kind of disappears because why do you need to tell a fish how to see water strange i don't know i there i the more and more because we've had this book for weeks now We've been yeah. sitting on this book for a while now. 
And I've read it maybe twice, both times just skimming over it because I just marveled at the idea of someone spending his time to do this. And I've just like, this 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 person's a PhD person, right? Yeah. Has a doctorate, has tenure, I believe, right? Yes, actually, this is their post, his post-tenure publication. And, you know, I think that like, Trying to be kind as a former academic who didn't get tenure because I'm not very job market desirable, and that's fine. Um, I have other skills or whatever. Um, you know, like it feels like a book where there was a point where it was more urgent, and then there was a point where this kind of became like less urgent the more that this record was kind of worked out, you know more and more distant from the forge being something that people participated in if that makes sense jared thoughts yeah i'm i it's i'm really stuck on this idea of forgetting right because if the book had posited like if the if the breathless exclamation at the beginning of the book was people in the academy don't know about the forge i think that would be a completely reasonable uh proposition right like that's that then you could write the book exactly as it is and it makes sense to me contextually but this idea of forgetting like who the only people who knew about the forge is us right and the more we talk about it the more i keep coming back to this idea that like well maybe we're not the audience but then i'm stuck with this word forgetting right it's so odd Hmm. oh my god you see look now, now, this leads to a whole notion of like some weird pseudo philosophical stuff where is there merit in being forgotten? Um, is there, do we like, is there a right to be remembered? I mean, like, seriously, like, it's, it's, it sounds romantic. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, can we please acknowledge that the surrounding discussions around this thing is not the most positive? And, and also that's it's I think it's especially interesting and rife in the case of the forge, which is a very specific happening that from its inception was planned to obsolete itself. You know, like it was from the very beginning, Ron, Ron Edwards was clear that this is a temporary project and it is going to end. Um, and I feel like the way at least the way Ron specifically talked about this idea of ending it. It feels very final to me whenever he talks about it. Um, so why do so, people want to resurrect it? Why do people want? Why do people want uh, a memorial? Like why do they want to memorialize it and archive it? Well, uh, you know, part of me wants to wants to think it's like appeal to previous authority. You know what I mean? And story games don't have an older authority really to fall back on, other than the forge. Like that is that's sort of the genesis of most of what we think of as story game now. So if they, I think if, if story games don't have the ability to call back to the forge as this ancient authority, then it becomes a much, a much different landscape, a, probably a better landscape, but a more difficult one. You know what I mean? Yeah. To navigate. I, yeah. Yeah. I think part of the problem <laughs> here is that uh, I'm against having gods in any industry. And it almost feels like this is an effort to deify a space. Mm. Deify. Oh yeah. Maybe deify a space. So it's almost like if you were an early member of the forge, you're one of the gods 
And I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of people basically being put above everyone else when it's largely a matter of positioning. It's largely a matter of luck. It's largely a matter of whether or not people were willing to take you seriously. And even later on, a part of the book kind of acknowledges that and it looks at the demographics of the forage as a mostly cis white heterosexual male space. Mm. And I ain't having any of that as our, as like our hopefully not token person of color in this podcast. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> no. Okay. So just an aside, this is arguably a very white podcast. This is when I am the person of color in it, which is not to say like, Oh my God, this is, yeah. <laughs> Look, it's okay. You and are you there? We're just doing self crit, but you know, my background is religious studies at one point. So, like, you know, I think it's interesting that you can watch people try to make a sort of originary text by like saying that the forge meant a certain thing that meant conclusions to certain conversations. Are and, you saying this is the gospel according to Bill White? Well, yes, <laughs> insofar as like, look, like. <laughs> Most things have gospels, right? We already brought up ideological state apparatuses, but like, you know, if you look at, let's say an ISA, you know, one of the ISAs in most countries is a political party, which exists as a series of documents. So like, you know, I'm saying that this deserves the same consideration I give political institutions in my country, like, you know, or anything else that's about interpreting scripture. Oh, I just wanted to ask like, if that's the case, then what's the ideology of the Forge? Well, I think, like, the ideology of the Forge is, like, something I have a hard time pinning down because I think of it mostly in terms of, like, being a very select group of people that had a number of concerns and worked together. And I think that, like, at risk of sounding mean-spirited, and I do not mean this in a mean-spirited way... I think that it's very easy to have nostalgia for a place where you felt very involved and, you know, this person wrote a game and, like, you know, uh, engaged in conversations that felt like they were really influencing a field and changing how people were doing things. And, like, within the space of especially the years that that was, like, it probably felt really fucking heady, you know? Like, I'm not trying to be rude here you know and there's definitely some massive massive blind spots to the forage about like who was in that room because mainstream discourse in this country in 2012 compared to 2020 is like such a massive sea change it's not even funny i think this is something i say about the forge quite a lot um that i think is really important at least to my conception and like understanding of the forge and that's that most of the most of the concerns of the forge are radically situated in their cultural moment, right? So there's the, the, the concerns of the forge are, are very particular to like coming out of the late nineties, um, specifically the way vampire and then Watsi existed in the larger, uh, not only like game design landscape, but publishing landscape. And, it's it's very easy and I think like fallacious to let slip like let let those things slip into the present moment uncritically. Um, so it, it's it's really difficult because our moment now is extraordinarily different from the, what the forge, how the forge existed and and where they existed. Well, well, let's um, look at and, and, oh, yeah, you first. Sorry. 
Oh, I was just going to say, so I think a lot of the, a lot of the problems that I see with sort of modern post forge discourse uh, are where, where that, that translation happens. Um, as I said, uh, uncritically, well, what were you going to say? Oh, well, because the book has three claims about the forge. That I think maybe we should investigate. <laughs> okay. That first, it says that the forges had a focus on encouraging people to design, publish and play their own games which then helped create a participatory participatory culture in the tabletop RPG scene. Uh, The second one was that it provided a theoretical framework as the big model, quote-unquote, or basically GSN, which is gamist, simulationist, narrativist uh, kinds of um, gaming. And third, that the nature of the Forge is, uh, it's basically like, an object of communication that then contributed to discourse with all of these individuals contributing to these conversations. So it's, you know, it's, it's three things that we need to look at. And when you look at these three separate threads to use the author's conceit, okay. Trying to be kind to use the author's like inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I have to agree, like is the forge like something that helped people become you know, like a community of designers, because I didn't know if we actually had a community of designers even 10 years ago, at least one that was outside of, you know, Twitter. Mm. I mean, like, there's always been indie games. And I think one of the weird things is that, like, The Forge is probably the first time that indie games were formulated as an ideological critique. There's a degree to which, like, Games Workshop was an ideological critique of D&D because of um, White Dwarf refusing to be a party organ and give a positive review and therefore starting the tradition of your bitter ex-employees becoming the next generation of game designers. Um, (laughs) Man, that's a read, right? Anyway, you know, like... The thing is, like, if you look at VTM and you look at the criticisms and, like, the even if we, like, exclude the infamous stuff, like, VTM gives you brain damage and, like, the stuff that's just, like, some buck wild, like, going off about, like, problem players, you still have, like, a thing that responds mostly to VTM about, like, the problems of its dice pools rather than its problems of the fact that its most recognizable black character is just Eze. Like, the Keo oh, Bell is just a drawing of Eze. It's it's not like they're trying to disguise it. This is Easy, the literal real person, and we wrote a fake backstory for him. And, you know, like, one of the things that doesn't get mentioned much is, like, you know, um, there were people of color in high-ranking positions within, you know, White Wolf, um, and it tried a lot of things, but, like, there's not much criticism of that sort of, like, stuff that, like, feels very relevant to people now compared to critiques of design on the level of mechanics and incentives, which like maybe was a necessary critique, but like it's 2020 and we're still kind of having preliminary talks about like whether or not like Legend of the Five Rings is Orientalist, a conversation that I have nothing to contribute to given my absolute lack of reason to be a person that's in that conversation. I mean, like I... We see other podcasts about it, like a good podcast about like Orientalism, so on Asians represent, and where you where you have like people complaining about the content of one episode, saying it's a very shallow look, when that podcast has literally like maybe what almost forty hours at this point, maybe thirty plus hours of of like going page by page of a book 
it's such a deep read. So I would say that right now we're in a space where people are doing very critical readings, but it's more about the narrative content of a book rather than the mechanics of it. And the forge feels like a space where people focus more on the mechanics of things. If only, like, right? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Like it's all about it there. Yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge that the forge was also very, very concerned with publishing and what it, what it looks like to publish as a small creator in the like first and and like the first couple of decades of of the 20th century you know or the 21st century you know so it's one of those things like this is i was talking earlier about things that don't make sense anymore and i think that's a really clear example um because the the like grand wisdom at the forge was you're never going to make money do your print run sell it for nothing make it make like your your print run money back maybe if you can just get it out there and um, if you if you don't have a day job, you you can't be a game designer, and that's just demonstrably like not true now, and and not only not true but like unhelpful now. Okay, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I still see people in the forge, like again Paul Saga, Paul Sedge, who are so um, like encouraging, and then he will give means of here's a way you can easily like reduce your costs for printing here's a way that you can get on itch here's a way that you can uh do all these things so that you can make your work out there and put your work out there and so in in one sense like yeah it doesn't make sense now uh you can you can have a career in game design it's still hard i think but yeah that's the part of the forge that i actually admire it got people uh, you know, that support to put your work out there and then feel like you can make a name for yourself and you can be accepted by peers. So that's why I'm a little bit conflicted with The Forge. I, I, I have been welcomed by a number of people who clearly have ties back to The Forge. And that's why I'm kind of like, why is it that you exist, but you, and then on the, it's almost like, it's a very multifaceted, it's a hydra, basically. Like, why do I have this nice head here? But you have these other heads who just want to bite me. I don't like it. <laughs> That's where I get very well, confused. I, I don't want to make it sound like um, I was being super critical of the Forge's takes on publication. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like you very similar to you. I'm that's the part of the Forge that I have absolutely the most respect for, and I acknowledge that what I do for a living on like basically all five of my hustles would be impossible without the Forge existing in the past. Um, so like no, no shade on that front. Um, but I, I just, we're in a radically different, um, landscape now. And a lot of the, the sort of wisdom of that time doesn't translate, but I, I do think that's an important, you know, it's one of those things where on some level speaking to your, your thing about how some people are cool and some people are not, you know, maybe on some level you want to think that just like some people were able to grow. Right. So like, you know, the, the people you've, you've name dropped, right? So Paul and, and the Bakers and all, I love them. They're, they're spectacular and they've been great to me. And maybe that's, maybe they just like learned from the experience of being in that kind of, or at least a, a community that seems so insular and off-putting um, and sort of came out of it better as a, as a reaction. Right. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, every community will have its its it will have its dirty laundry. 
and it's mm. and it's problematic people. I mean that you can't blame the entire forge for that. I'm just wondering why that's the case. Like well, what did what happened? Well, I think what happened that that was highlighted. I think that there's been a transition away from the heartbreaker model and like, you know, I tried not to take positions on anyone that's employed me but i think like luca regic has like an interesting take on why like the heartbreaker model was particularly detrimental to his ability to feel confident and move on in work and you know i think that he's a talented designer and i don't think he needs me to tell him that um but you know i think like to a lot of extent like the sort of pro heartbreaker sentiment is because I, I don't think that Ron Edwards thing is necessarily helpful sometimes. It, that is one of the things I would like maybe point to the most is like this idea of like, you're just tinkering with your system, kid. But really, there's just like the big leagues. And then there's like this like small town thing. And it, you know, is very much like the skill you kind of give someone to teach them of like, I'm inducting you as a carny. Welcome to carny games. Like there's the big leagues and then there's the carny games and we're in carny games, you know? But I think that like, right, the heartbreaker thing is particularly as people are increasingly interested in things that seem like a more direct and personal expression rather than a more impersonal exploration of an issue. Like, I think that like, the idea of heartbreakers is just not really helpful anymore. And also like Edwards was talking about 3.5 hacks, which like just don't exist anymore. And yeah. Yeah. There was a huge proliferation of, at the time of people like taking out a third mortgage on their house so they could do a 10,000 copy print run of their like, you know, homebrew clone of three, five, which at the time it's probably good to tell people not to do that, right? Now, I'm not going to defend Ron Edwards' framing of it by any stretch, but that's also, like, once again, that's something that isn't a problem any longer. So the fact that we're still sort of contending with this category of a heartbreaker and we've had to, I don't know, reclaim it, I guess, <laughs> is, is uh, it's unfortunate at the very least. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that's telling of a lot of the legacy of The Forge. I just I just realized something, which is that given that the forage feels very American to me, do you think that a possibility of why the author wants the forage to be remembered is that now you have all sorts of different people who are not American participating in games? Well, yeah, if you're the second, like, I mean, think of it scalarly, right? Like the forage was the critical darling indie movement against like three five and vampire the masquerade and like the way history's gone since then i don't want to touch with any length of pole the discourse around vtm or dungeons and dragons but like there's just a more existent world of like independent publishing in like almost all um media and I think that that's sort of the, you know, I think that the world of RPGs was a lot smaller in 2008. I think it was a lot smaller in 2012. But I think that, like, yeah, it was less international. And also there was one big tent from which all criticism flowed because, like, there were not that many people. Like, you know, D&D is an offshoot of, like, the existence of fantasy cons, you know, and fantasy conventions in the sense of there being genre rules. Like, ultimately it exists because there's a number of other things 
it's now popular enough that it maybe creates its own set of genre rules. And being critical of that from a number of standpoints is now actually like a viable thing that like people are interested in. You know, to be a bit internationalist myself and be a filthy cosmopolitan in a country that despises them, you know, it's like Dogma 95 or 99, um, 95, um, you know, like manifesto stuff where like the initial purpose of that critique was to point out ways you could do film that didn't involve a number of the financial aspects of making a you know hollywood film and at a certain point the you know lars von trier and other progenitors of it said they were going to stop acting as a committee for this admitted that there were times that they cheated their own rules because it's impossible to really perfectly make a dogma 95 movie and we're like the critique existed and if you want to do something with it like we're not here to be cops and you know i think that that inspired a lot of international filmmakers some of which are good some of which are bad and it doesn't really matter whether or not they adhere to a set of guidelines for making a movie that were set up to critique you know the rise of 90s blockbusters for most pretentious and tortured metaphor that we're just going to edit out in its entirety like we're just going to zap <laughs> all of it and it's gonna be awesome we'll see i'm the one who makes that decision <laughs> damn it you're just gonna keep all the parts where i stutter and nothing else it's just gonna be like fiona the human metronome um yeah guys it's thinking 15 minutes of you breathing okay so here's a here's a thought for everyone because i think we're getting to a a natural conclusion to this discussion which is Okay, so the project is we're going to be looking through every chapter. Well, not every chapter. We're going to go look through what we think are the contentious parts of this book. And I think trying to be kind, <laughs> we're not going to completely rag and shit on this thing and not on the forge itself. I mean, to be fair, there are moments of self-awareness in this book where even the author says, I have bias. I was part of the Forge. Though I don't think he completely adjusts for that bias, but hey, we're human. Fine. But yeah, like I'm pretty excited to do this with the two of you because <laughs> I can't think of anyone else. I really think like, <laughs> you know, we are the we are the three fury slash fates of our per- <laughs> and it's and it's gonna be wild. I have a feeling it's gonna be wild. Yeah, I'm stoked. I think this was a good overview of sort of where we're at on the book at this moment and it'll be fun to see how we change on it as we move through it yeah also as the crone um i'm keeping track of our current score in our gnomic game since we're the world's most accountable podcast in which the current score is jared 23 mahar 907 fiona 15 Oh, no, I'm not 907. Add 666 to my score, remember? Oh, yeah. Well, you you need to do your own math, damn it, because that's uh, 1,513, I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, no, 666, 1,500. <laughs> we'll figure it out. It was nine hundred. We were trained in the humanities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No STEM graduates here. <laughs> I want to go back to school to be in STEM. This is how much of a nerd I am. Like, I'm like, man, I've succeeded at games. What if I went and just, like, got a nerd degree? Speaking of Just going to respec. Yeah, I'm just respecing for a better career. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, uh, games, congratulations to Fiona for now being Exalted Funeral's purchasing person. 
yeah, if it weren't for the Forge, there probably would not be a bunch of indie game designers that are why I get to talk to people about games and then buy copies of them for distribution. Also, congratulations to Jared on Spear Witch being active for more than a month now. Yeah, absolutely. Go buy books on SpearWitch.com. Thank you very much. Our corporate sponsor, Slash Daddy. <laughs> Wait, Spear Witch? See, this is how behind I am. I'm completely behind. That's my store. I have an online store where I sell only the finest RPG books <laughs> made by made by author book creators. Uh, spearwitch.com and you should go there and buy all the books okay so before we <laughs> before we end so we're, capitalist just gonna, we're just gonna put on the song sellout by real big fish and that's just gonna be the end of this podcast and the show Jared, Jared just doing a, oh a song and dance number to that oh my god gift forever <laughs> Oh my god. We are terrible human beings. <laughs> no, I'm just forced to live under capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>